to you this morning. I hope the service is a blessing to you. And uh, make sure you guys get to, to meet the new family this morning and um, just make them feel welcome. Uh, anybody at Rehoboth who's, who's new this morning, welcome to you as well. Uh, and anyone who's watching online for the first time this morning, we welcome you as well. It's great to have you joining us. Um, kids, if you guys want to go down, uh, I believe we are ready to have you downstairs for your lessons and for your fun this morning. Uh, youth uh, are staying upstairs this morning. It's the first Sunday of the month, so for the first Sunday of every month, uh, the youth stay upstairs with us. And if the stewards could please go around with the offering baskets. We, um, we do this as part of our uh, worship on a Sunday morning. If you're new, please don't feel pressure to give. Um, but if you're a member of this house, uh, please, I encourage you to sow generously uh, into the work of the ministry here at Gateway. Uh, it's, uh, it's such a, an honor to be able to give uh, to the work of the Lord. So... Uh, I'm up here this morning because Pastor Chris is um, sharing the word in Newtown this morning at Hope Church. Uh, we were up there yesterday uh, for a prayer breakfast for the AOG uh, Wales Network, and uh, all the pastors from the AOG churches around Wales were there for a prayer breakfast, and guys, it was phenomenal. Uh, the, the Spirit of God fell and he brought us wisdom and revelation in terms of how to, to lead things forward in the season, uh, giving us discernment on, on issues that we've been wrestling with. So it's been really good uh, to, to just hear from God's heart how to, to nurture and steward his church. So uh, we bless you, Pastor Chris, this morning. Uh, he would have probably just started preaching. So um, go for it, Pastor Chris. Have fun. Um, I have no announcements other than James and Omar. Will you please stand? Guys, we have the privilege of having this wonderful young couple, and today is their first wedding anniversary. Bless you guys. We love you so much. And uh, we just want to honor you and your commitment to God in your, your marriage uh, and, and in the ministry that you do. So bless you um, and enjoy your day. I hope, James, you've done something special for Omar. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. So um, I think that's everything on my list. And so without further ado, I'm going to invite Kathy to, to come up and share God's word. You know, Matthew 10 in, in verse 41 says this, if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you will receive a prophet's reward. And so I want to encourage you to receive Kathy this morning um, to, to be blessed with what she has to share. I'll grab that for you, Kathy. Um, and so make sure that you, you open your hearts and open your spirits and get ready to receive a powerful blessing from this woman of God. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> I'm getting old, so I have to have a chair. 
I can perch. I'll, oh, I'll try not to slide off it, but if I do, you're welcome to have a good laugh at my expense. <laughs> right, well, if you've never, ever, uh, oh, <laughs> ever. <laughs> Right. If you've never, ever, ever, ever experienced any trouble in your life, would you please put your hand up? That was the response I expected. Now, there are some things, you know, that God can't do. We say that he's the God of the impossible, but it is actually impossible for God to lie. And Jesus declares himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. So if he's the truth, he cannot lie. So we can be assured that everything he says to us is right, is true. And we can get comfort and strength from that fact. And he says in John... I can't see the... Uh, screen over there, but I'm trusting it will come up. John 16, 33 says, in this world, you will have trouble. You see, he doesn't pull any punches. He says it as it is. In this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. That's my title. Take heart, take courage. I have overcome the world. And we've been singing about that today, that his name is higher than any other name. He is above. He is the overcomer. So in this world, yes, we will have trouble. He doesn't pretend that being a Christian is going to be a bed of roses and we'll be exempt from trouble. He says, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And Chris has been reminding us lately about a scripture in Romans 8:28, which I know that you will all know that says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we may not appreciate it at the time, but as we look back, very often we can see the good that God has brought out of different situations, the lessons we've learned, and actually very often the things he's protected us from that we don't actually see while we're going through whatever the situation is. So that verse tells us that God works all things for our good. So how does trouble do us good? Well, James tells us in his letter, James 1, 2 to 4 says, Dear brothers and sisters, whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. Now, joy is not happiness. Joy is a deep, deep awareness and contentment that God is in control. For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be strong in character and ready for anything. And actually, Paul echoes that uh, sentiment in Romans Five, three to five, so you can check that out for yourselves. God desires us to grow, just as we desire our children to grow. So we stop giving them milk, we wean them onto solid food. 
God wants us to mature, to be strong in character. Character is so important. To be of good character takes us a long, long way in life. And he uses trouble to refine us, to grow our faith. We learn to trust him through our troubles. And he prepares us then to help other people. Because if we've never experienced any trouble, if we've never experienced God's help in that trouble, how can we help other people when they're going through similar situations? We can't. It's impossible. So he uses it for good in so many ways. The question is, how do we respond to trouble? And we're going to look at a situation that David found himself in. The account is in 1 Samuel 30. I'm just going to give you a bit of background and then whiz through it because the chapter's too long for us to read. But David at this point had left the court of King Saul. Saul was king, Samuel was the prophet. And David had been part of Saul's court, if you like, as a warrior and playing the harp when Saul had moments of depression and anxiety. But Saul became very, very jealous of David, and in moments of insane jealousy, he would try to kill him. So Saul, uh, so sorry, so David left the court, and he lived as an outlaw, and he had 600 men with him. And at this point in time, he was living in the wilderness, and he had aligned himself to one of the kings of the Philistines. And he would go out on raiding parties, and he would destroy the Israelites' enemies under cover, as it were. And then he would go and fight with this Philistine king and help him. So he was, he, he'd left his town of Ziglag, which this king had given him and his, his people to live in, and he'd gone to align himself with this Philistine king and the kings of the Philistines who were going to wage war, but this time they were waging war against the Israelis. So the other kings didn't trust David. They said, no, 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 he'll turn on us and he'll support the Israelites. So we don't want him. Send him back. So he was sent back to Ziglag. And that, that process took three days. And when he got back to Ziglag, the Amalekites had raided the town. They'd taken his wives or the wives of the, all the men, all their children, all the people living in the camp with them, all their livestock, and they'd burnt Ziglag to the ground. So David was in a spot of bother, you might say. And now we're going to look at how he responded and hopefully learn our lessons. And I may tell you that in the times of trouble I have had, I have not done what David did. So I'm speaking to myself here as well. So the first thing that happened, we read, is that David and his men wept until they could weep no more. And you know that is a healthy response to loss. Whether it's loss of a loved one through death, loss of a relationship, friendship, loss of a job, financial loss, whatever it might be, we're allowed to grieve. We're allowed to mourn, and we should. It's healthy. But there comes a time when we have to move on. Otherwise, it becomes unhealthy. And Ecclesiastes 3, 4 tells us there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. So the time comes when we have to put away, if you like. We don't forget, 
but we stop grieving. In fact, we have a lesson to learn from Samuel because it tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 15 that when Saul rebelled against God, God decided that his dynasty would no longer rule and that his son would not become king. Samuel grieved. And it tells us in the Bible, Samuel never met with Saul again after that particular incident, which you can read in 1 Samuel 15 but he mourned constantly for him. The first verse of chapter 16 tells us, finally, the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king. Now fill your horn with oil, go to Bethlehem, find a man named Jesse, for I have selected one of his sons to be my new king. You see, finally, God lost patience. He said, come on, Put that behind you, time to move on, because I've got new things. If we stay in our grief and our sadness and our sorrow, we are going to miss out on what God's got for us. We're going to miss out on the new things that he's got for us. So finally, we have to face up to things. God says, enough face up to it. I've rejected him. That's the situation. Now then, there are new things for you to do. I've got new plans. And we don't want to miss out. We do not want to miss out on what God has got for us. And part of the reason we don't want to miss out is that one day we are going to come face to face with Jesus. One day we're going to have to give an account. And we can't say, well, I was so sad, or I was full of self-pity, or I was this, or I was that. He's going to say, no, no, no. No excuses. So, we don't want to stay in our grief. We don't want to wallow in self-pity. We don't want to miss out on what God has got for us. So then... The next thing that happened was that David's men turned on him and they were threatening to stone him. Now, again, you know, it's unlikely that anybody's going to stone you, but you might suffer persecution. You might be rejected by friends, family, whatever. But what did David do? David found strength in the Lord, it tells us in this scripture. Now, what does that actually mean? Well... I think it means that he began to think about God. That maybe he thought to himself, well, you know, I'm going to be the next king. God's got a plan for me, a destiny for me. So God's not going to allow them to stone me if he's promised that I'm going to be king. You know, he's got stuff for us to do. He's got promises over our lives. And we need to just look up and think, yes, God, you've got that plan. You made that promise. You gave me that scripture. So it is going to be all right. And then maybe he thought, well, God's been faithful to me in the past, and God doesn't change. And God is bigger than these men. As we were singing, his name is higher. So as David probably thought these thoughts and as we can consider these things, we think, yes, actually, it's going to be okay. 
I can do this. So he found strength in focusing on God and in thinking about who God was and what God had done and what God has said. And that's what we need to do instead of panicking, phoning a friend. Yes, it's all right to do that after, but first and foremost, let's find strength in the Lord. The next thing David did was he inquired of the Lord. So he actually said to the Lord, should I chase them, will I catch them? You see how specific he was. It wasn't, is this going to be okay? No, he very specifically asked, shall I chase them and will I catch them? And God said, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. So what an assurance that that gave David. And we can ask, and God will answer. David believed God. Now then, that's a challenge, isn't it? Do we believe God if he tells us something? I've had a bit of a battle this week. I won't go into details because it regards a member of my family. But we knew a situation was coming up, and a while back I prayed, and I believe God gave me an assurance about it. However, last week was the week that this was going to happen. Oh, every day it was, oh, no. You've given me that word, Lord, you promised, you said, you know, we've got to, we've got to take hold. We've got to trust. And David believed God. Why? Because he'd got a word. Ask God for a scripture. Ask God for something to hang your faith on. And in the past, David had experienced God's goodness. He'd experienced God's help. He knew from experience that he could trust God to help him. And so we have to trust and we have to obey. And as that happens, faith is built within us. So each time we go through a time of trouble, faith builds, trust grows, confidence in God grows. We learn more about God. We see more of his attributes, more of his character. And each time then, we're in a better place to face the next thing. Because let me tell you, there always is a next thing. Then David took action. David acted, but God provided. So what happened was that David and his 600 men went out to pursue the Amalekites. And as they were going along, they came across a man lying in a field. And this guy was an Egyptian slave of one of the Amalekites. And he was ill, and so they just left him to die because obviously he couldn't keep up with them. So David and his men gave him food, they gave him water, he recovered, and when they promised that he, they would not hand him back to his Amalekite master, he showed them the way to the Amalekite camp. So you see, God provides David acted, God provided. And, you know, he does that for us today. I was only thinking as I was going through this this morning, I remembered an incident over 20 years ago when, you know, I was also thinking it would have been good in this situation, but not in any other, to have had about six kids. Because then you could tell a story about your kids and nobody would know which one it was. <laughs> Unfortunately, that doesn't apply to me. 
But about 20 years ago, there was a situation that my son was in that he was struggling with, and the tendency he had was to just take off. And we got home this one day, and I can't actually remember the circumstances, but we got back to where we were living. We got out of the car, and who should be there but Pete Davis, Sue's husband. And, oh, he was just a, such a godly man. And he said to my son, get the dog, because we had a golden lab retriever. They had a black one, I think, at the time. Get the dog, Jim, he said, come on, let's go for a walk. And, and Pete just took my son and the dog with his dog, and they went, I think they went up to Santoni or somewhere like that, and they just walked. They walked and walked. And, you know, Pete, he wouldn't have cross-examined. He would have listened. He would have given wise counsel. He would have just accepted, and he would have loved because he was such a godly man, and he would never have split on anything that had been said that day. You see, to my mind, that was God's providential provision. A need met, just as David had his need met by this Egyptian slave that just happened to be in the field. God providentially provides in amazing ways. He knows exactly what we need when we need it. But David had to act, you see. If he'd have stayed at home in his misery, he would never have met that Egyptian slave. But God made a way. So they got, get to the Amalekite camp and they attack them and David had to persevere because it took all night and all day to actually gain victory. So we have to persevere too. We have to persevere in prayer. We have to persevere in faith by declaring and standing and having done all else to stand. There may not be an instant solution. I don't want to discourage you, but sometimes it takes years for things to pan out, for God to do what he needs to do through a situation. And then David recovered all that was lost. He got the victory. In fact, he recovered more because not only did he regain all that he'd lost, but they plundered the enemy camp and they got all their livestock too. So he actually went back with far more than he bargained for. And he had total victory in the situation. And if we trust God in our times of trouble, we will end up in a place of victory. And as we look back, we will think, yes, God is amazing. God is amazing. So, that's how we should respond. Now then, what do we need to remember in our times of trouble? We're going to look at some different scriptures. The first one is Isaiah 55, 8, that says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. And this is why we should ask God to show us his perspective, because it's not the same as ours. It's better, it's higher, and it works. So let's not rely on our own solutions to our problems or to anybody else's. You know, think of Job. He had all the advice of these friends, but they were actually no good at all. We need God's thoughts. We need God's ways. They're higher than ours, but they work. 
So let's not run ahead, but let's just wait for God to show us his way. And then we need to remember that we actually need God's help and he doesn't need ours. And very often we think we can help God, but actually we hinder him, we get in the way. Psalm 50, 15 says, Then call on me when you are in trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will give me glory. You see, if we call on him, he promises, he says, I will rescue you. Not I might. Or if I happen to notice you, if, if I do hear that prayer, no. If you call, I will. I will, that's a promise. Psalm 59, 9 to 10. You are my strength. That's us talking to God. I wait for you to rescue me. For you, O God, are my fortress. I wait for you to rescue me. Let's not run ahead of God. Let's wait for him to do the rescuing. Sometimes we're tempted to rescue other people but we need to wait for God to be the rescuer. It's not in the script, but it's just come to my mind, Psalm 107, if you want to do some homework. Psalm 107 is all sorts of different scenarios, but they all end up saying, I cried to the Lord and he rescued me from all my whatever it was. He is the rescuer, but we have to call, we have to cry, we have to wait for him to rescue us. Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble, so we will not fear. Now, he's a refuge. What is a refuge? It's a place of safety. It's a place where we run to and nobody can get to us. It's a place of protection. So if we run to God, he is our refuge and our strength. He will give us courage and strength. And he's always ready to help. You know, when you're reading the Bible, just don't read it, but think about every phrase, every word. You know, he's our help. He's our strength. He's always ready to help us in times of trouble. So we will not fear. So we will not fear. False evidence appearing real, I think Joyce Meyer says. Now that's a choice, a decision that we make. If we fear, if we give in to fear, we're going to just fail at, at, at the starting point, to be honest with you. Don't let fear grip you. Focus on God. Lift your eyes. Lift your countenance to him. Do what David did and find strength in the Lord. Think about what he's done in the past. Think about who he is. Think about, you know, God, the Bible says if you've got a seed, uh, faith as small as a mustard seed, you're on victory ground. Declare his promises. Don't look at the circumstances. Look at Jesus. Don't keep rehearsing the issue. It will only reinforce it in your inner man. I know it's hard to let go. Trust me, I've been there. 
but we have to give it to God and we don't take it back. And then Psalm 91, which we're all familiar with because we declared it all the time during the COVID lockdown. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. We need to live in that place, not pop in and out, but live in the shelter of the Most High. We need to stay close. And then, like Sarah was saying, we find rest, we find peace. Whatever's going on around us, we'll find that place of peace. We'll find that place of rest. And we'll only find it in God. This I declare of the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God. I am trusting him. Now, if that's all you do, declare it, say it. Say it over your breakfast. Say it over your morning coffee. Say it as you have your lunch. Say it as you drive the car. Say it, say it, say it. Believe it, believe it, believe it. The more you say it, the more you'll believe it. When you're saying it, no other thought. Say it out loud. Because when you say it out loud, you can't think of anything else. You can't be thinking that, saying that and thinking negative thoughts. For he will rescue you from every trap. Promise. And protect you from the fatal plague. Promise. He will shield you with his wings. Promise. He will shelter you with his feathers. Promise. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. So stay close to God. The next thing to remember is found in Isaiah 43, 2 to 3a. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burnt up. The flames will not consume you. Notice two things here. I will be with you. Promise. When you go through, go through. That's the phrase you need to hang on to. When you go through, you will come out the other side. This too will pass. He won't abandon you midstream. You will not drown. You will not be overwhelmed. And he is with you. And the next thing to remember is, if you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit within you. And the Holy Spirit enables us to manage our problems and cope. He gives us strength. He guides us. He leads us. He prompts us. He checks us. He says, no, don't do that. Do this. If we listen and obey, <laughs> that's the question, isn't it? If we listen and obey the prompting and the guiding of the Holy Spirit, we will be able to overcome. And Philippians 4.13 says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So, if we remember all those things, we're doing well. And of course, that's not a comprehensive list. So what did David do? He grieved Yes, but there comes a time to move on. 
And actually, that just reminds me that, you know, so much of it is an attitude to mind, or of mind, I should say. And I remember that I was in one particular, very difficult to me, and of course we all see things differently, time of trouble. And I was, unlike David, I wasn't finding my strength in the Lord. I was being an absolute misery guts. I was feeling very sorry for myself until one day my husband had had enough of it. And he said, will you stop having that victim mentality? And I didn't like it. And at that moment in time, I didn't like him very much either. <laughs> but you know, he was right. And it made me snap out of it. And sometimes we need people who will speak the truth to us. And sometimes we don't like them very much when they do. But they only do it because they love us. And you know, I haven't got my husband by my side anymore. But I have got very precious friends who speak truth to me. I have children who speak truth to me. And... Okay, you might not like it, but it's only because they love you. And we need to take on board what is said to us. So when we're being a bit slow to recover, or to move on, or to find our strength in God, we might need a little poke from somebody close to us. Receive it. Then David asked God, be specific, trust and obey, be proactive, persevere, trust God to use it for good. And then, as that lady, I'm sorry I don't know that lady that came to the front, but thank God in the middle of whatever you're going through, thank God for who he is. Thank God that he is faithful. Thank God that he is able. Thank God that he will see you through. And that lady used the word cling, and it reminded me, when my husband was diagnosed with cancer, I had Psalm 63, that, that, and that verse, and I did cling. It says, I cling to you, your right hand upholds me, and I clung to God. Because, you know, there's no one else that you can cling to like you can cling to God, and his right hand does uphold you. He will not let you down. He is faithful, and he is mighty God, and he is strong, and he is able, and he has overcome. So give him thanks. Give him praise. The enemy hates that. He hates it. You thank God. You praise God. You exalt Jesus. And your attitude will change as well. And then in Joel 2.25, God promises another promise God says, I will make up for the years the locusts have eaten. He does. He does. Lots of promises. And just as God can't lie, obviously, he can't break promises either. So if he has said it, you can absolutely guarantee 100% that he will fulfill that word to you. You know, when we were kids, our dad used to read to us from A.A. Um, Milne. A.A. Milne was the father of Christopher Robin. 
and A.A. Milne wrote the Winnie the Pooh stories. And he also wrote poems that you find in books called um, When We Were Young and Now I Am Six. Well, now I'm a bit more than six, but the poems are still amazing. Although my grandchildren think they're old hat. They have no taste these days. <laughs> but one of the poems is called Buckingham Palace. And it came to, obviously came to my mind because Buckingham Palace has been in the news all the time lately. And it, it goes a bit like this. Well, it goes like this. I'll tell you the first verse. It's very long, so I won't recite it all. You'll be pleased to hear. They're changing guard at Buckingham Palace. Christopher Robin went down with Alice. Alice is marrying one of the guards. A soldier's life is terrible hard, says Alice. And then the last verse, Christopher Robin says to Alice, do you think the king knows all about me? Sure to, dear, but it's time for tea, says Alice. But you know there is a king, not King Charles III in Buckingham Palace, but King Jesus enthroned in glory. And King Jesus knows all about me, and King Jesus knows all about you. He knows the situation you're in. He knows how you feel. He knows what it means to you. He knows. He absolutely knows. And he cares. And he's for you. And he's with you, this king, this king of kings for whom nothing is impossible. And if you know Jesus today, if you know this King of glory, then all the promises that we've talked about are yours. If you know King Jesus, then all those assurances that we see in Scripture that we've looked at today belong to you. So if you know King Jesus, even in the middle of your troubles, you can be of good cheer. And if you don't know King Jesus, you can. And if you're wondering today or thinking to yourself, I would like to know more about this king who knows everything about me, then if you're online, you can get in touch. If you're here, you can come and talk to Stu, to Lyra. But don't hold back because King Jesus is the one that we need if we're going to be of good cheer and be overcomers. So can we just pray? Lord, you never said that life would be easy, but you did promise to be with us. And we're asking today, Lord, that you would help us to lift our eyes above the circumstances and keep our focus upon you. Father, we thank you for your promises that they are yes and amen. We thank you that we can put our confidence in you, King Jesus, that you are at our right hand, that you will uphold us, that you will take us through, that when we cry to you, you will answer, and that you will be and are our hope and our strength and our help. Amen. <laughs>